Michael McMullen, this is the World Snooker Tour podcast, and it's great to be joined today by one of the youngest players on the circuit, still a teenager, it's Liverpool's own Sean Maddox. Sean, thanks very much for joining us. All right, no, it's good to be here. Tell us about your first memory of snooker, it probably isn't even all that long ago. About 10 years ago it is now, it was the World Championship final, I played, I was watching John Higgins beat Judd Trump in 2011, so I was, I was nearly 10. We all remember that final, just fantastic atmosphere. Yeah. Judd playing all those wonderful shots and almost winning the championship. So was it a classic case of you being inspired by watching that to want to play it and emulate those things yourself? Yeah, it was a bit of that. And some of my family know some of John Higgins' family as well. So, But I wasn't, wasn't really interested in the game at the time. I just knew his name. Uh, so I wanted, I was rooting for them to win, to be honest, but it was good watching Judd at the time. So had you ever played at that stage? No, no. I was playing I was playing bits of pool at the time. Me, me nan and granddad had a, a pool table in their house. So I was, I'd was go there to play, and that's how I got into the game. So what happens then? You've watched the World Final, you think, this is great, I want a piece of this. So is it off to the club then the next weekend? I don't know if it was the next weekend, I can't remember that. <laughs> My memory's not that good, but um, <laughs> it wasn't long after that. It, that I would start to play and as soon as I did start playing I was quite natural at the game I remember another Liverpoolian John Parrott telling yeah. me about when he started the game and he just loved the feel of the snooker hall as soon as he walked yeah. into it and the balls going into the pockets and all the colour was it the same mesmerising sort of experience for you? Yeah I, I liked it just because of how hard it was it was I mean you could there was always an, an, an easy target to get to you're trying to beat your ice break all the time and stuff like that so there was always like another target for me and that's that's just what I've always carried on even even like till now. So how long did it take you then maybe to reach those targets like when was your first 50 your first century that sort of thing? And the first time I ever played on a full size table I cleared the colors so that was that was 27. The first time you ever yeah, played on first a full time, size. Yeah, yeah. You probably don't realize how amazing it is no, to do that. No, no, yeah. Well, <laughs> I've done a few things like that. It, I was 12 when I, made me, when I made my first century break and I was 15 when I made my first 147. Yeah, and there was a lot of talk about that, wasn't there? You make a 147 at the age of 15, inevitably the name everyone's going to mention is Ronnie O'Sullivan yeah, because yeah. famously he did that in the English Amateur Championship 30 years ago. So is that something that was difficult for you to suddenly have all this talk about you at such a young age? I sort of got used to it. Um, just locally, I got used to it locally because I was... Like the best in Liverpool, and then the best in like the northwest, and then got to like when I've got a bit older, like fifteen, sixteen, I started playing for England and stuff, and then ended up doing really well in Q school and things like that. So I went from not really having not at at certain levels, not really anyone knew me at like Q school level, and then I ended up doing really well, and then everyone starts getting to know you. Then so this is like when I'm on the pro tour now. Not really all the pros know, know who I am, but I know a lot of them, and I'm getting to know more and more the more tournaments I'm playing. We'll come to your pro career in a moment, but let's talk a little bit more about your amateur days. And You had a lot of success in tournament play. You were able to bring your practice game into that environment, and as recently as last year, you got to a couple of very big amateur finals. Yeah, yeah. I got I actually had a really good uh, amateur. I don't really think you can have a better career without winning the tournaments are lost in finals. I got to the Q School final yeah, with David Lilly beat me and then in the January I got to the World Under-18 final and Gao Yang beat me in that one and then Arnil beat me in the Under-18 European final mm-hmm. and then I got to the two English Under-18 and Under-21 finals I ended up winning them last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so over that year actually 
I couldn't have really done better for, for my, my age bracket tournaments. And the thing was, with everything that was going on in the world at that time, it was a bit unclear yeah. what exactly was going to qualify you for the professional circuit. Yeah. So by getting to that WSF final, you had actually earned your place on the Pro Tour. Yeah. But you didn't know it at the time. No, I, no, I didn't know it at the time. I, I ended up finding out about the, maybe the June or something like that, or, or the May. Uh, but I was I was practicing for the Q School anyway because at the time I didn't obviously I didn't know. Uh, so I was playing for the Q School anyway, and I was expecting to have at least a good run in the tournament because of how, how good I've done that season. Um, but I didn't. You know, obviously, it's not guaranteed that you're going to get through. Uh, so I was I was I was happy when I got when I got through already in, in the World Under 18 tournament. Yeah, and as we say, it was some time after the tournament itself had taken place. So what happened? Did someone ring you up and say, "By the way, you're a professional now"? Yeah, it was at the time. It was Brandon Parker and Jason Ferguson. Um, they both let me know and then they said it got published on maybe a day or two after that so I'd already know but I just didn't I didn't tell anyone it was just um, they let they let me know first and then they got, it got published by like Will Snooker um, so I was made up at the time A very strange time though to turn professional it, it was actually it's probably the hardest obviously it's the biggest jump the highest standard I've ever played there anyway and then the Covid makes it even harder because I'm not getting able to, to practice with anyone and like no one can go with me to tournaments and the mm-hmm. standards higher the tables are better so everything was like a challenge but I've, I've this season I've already been practicing with loads of other players play like Joe Perry I've been going to Dings Academy a lot uh, Dave Gilbert I played Dave Gilbert on his table so I'm I'm getting to know like a better players and picking up a lot more than what I was last year so I'm already like a, a well better player just just for that anyway. Your first season's hard enough anyway, isn't it, Sean? And trying yeah. to deal with that sort of situation where you can't even prepare properly for tournaments, yeah. and then you're going in against guys who've been on the circuit for years. It's a lot to ask, isn't it? it yeah, it's. To be honest, I didn't really feel I had my depth with the standard. I, I I did get off to a good start in the first few tournaments. So I was having close games, and then through the season, I had the odd couple of games where I didn't really get much of a shot. Mm. Like Jamie Jones didn't really give me a shot. Scott Donaldson didn't give me a shot. And then there'd be other times where I'd play like Yan Bing Tao and I'd, I'd nearly beat him in like big tournament, mm-hmm. like the UK Championship. And so I, I didn't, I wasn't out of my depth. And that was like, I'm not used to really being on my own at tournaments either because I still can't drive. So I was getting the train to, to everywhere and stuff like that. I wasn't allowed to practice with anyone because mm-hmm. to, to, I had to get tested at tournaments. So I... You've got to like make sure you're okay just to play in the tournaments, and then you get there and and playing players who are more experienced, more used to the the conditions and stuff like that. There was no one watching. I like people watching. Mm. I I like get a bit of a buzz out of whoever whoever's watching me. Yeah, learning so, to play is one thing, and you'd obviously done that. Yeah. I suppose the big lesson you found last season was it's a whole other thing then learning how to win matches at pro level. Yeah, that it's it's just a bit of confidence at at this level. It's, I mean, I think. I won them two finals last week. I know, I know, I'm over eighteen, but I won the under twenty ones, and I played two good players in the finals, and I didn't feel like I played that great, but I still won the final. You know, and and that's just like the experience of me being on the tour for a year. So after like two years, even if I didn't stay on, that I'd I'd, I'd be so much better off in the amateur game if even if I didn't stay on. But I feel like I can. I feel like I'm ready now to just go and have a good run in the tournaments. What other sort of things do you feel you learned during that first season? It's 
it's like you're picking up how to deal with a lot of different types of players and situations. Like you, you're dealing with the telecameras, um, dealing with being on your own. It, you feel like you're actually on your own, and when you like, there's no one there, and it's just you, someone else on a scoreboard, and you're playing for like a lot of money and stuff. You, you just it just goes in. You don't feel like it's gone in, but I've played in in the Championship League already, and didn't feel like wasn't really as nervous as what I was last year. And I didn't feel out of my depth. I knew I knew everyone I played in that group as well. So you, I think the more familiar you are around the players, that makes a big difference as well. And do you think maybe the fact that you had a bit of a break between the end of last season and the start of the new one just yeah. gave you a chance to reset, as it were, and then it, come in yeah. feeling more comfortable? It was it was just like I got back to normal from after my amateur tournament. It was like the last... I just pretty much forgot about the last year, but I took out all, all the positives from it. So straight away, the second the World Championships finished, I had two weeks off, and then I was going to like Ding's Academy in Sheffield, and I was just getting loads of games with the Chinese, the Chinese players that are there, and because they they just don't stop practicing, so I knew I knew I'd get games there, um, and I was just pretty much just improving. We've been talking about what last season was like during the COVID situation and the worst of lockdown and the rest of it, but away from snooker, what's that been like for a teenager when? your normal instincts to be sociable have been completely curbed. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind. I like I like, I like going to gym and stuff like that. Like, um, Well, you couldn't just, do that either, could no, you? Because they could, were all close, yeah. weren't they? I mean, it was hard. It was, I was trying to, I ended up doing more hours in snooker. I'd end up going to snooker twice a day because I, I could still practice. I've still got my own table. Um, it's not in my house, but there was no one else going there, so, so I could still go. Um. So I'd end up going there in the morning and then I'd go home, just do whatever for a few hours and then I'd end up going back, you know, just to break the day up for me because I didn't really have anything else to do. Uh, so it was it was, it was, was boring right, more than anything, really. Mm. It was, yeah, I just didn't really enjoy snooker because it was like the only thing I could do. Mm. Uh, it made a big difference when the tournaments were on. I think if the tournaments weren't on, I don't think I'd have played for... for not, not I wouldn't have played properly for a long time. I think there's still players doing that now. What would you say, I know it's early days, but so far, what has been the best thing about being a professional snooker player? There's a few things. You you, you feel like you're, like you're the better player mm-hmm. just because of the players you're around all the time. You're playing in like the best conditions. You're playing, you know, like every time the draw comes out, you're looking to, you know, you can draw like Ronnie O'Sullivan or John Higgins, someone like that. So you, there's always like excitement for the tournament. Because you're playing for like a lot of money, there's the chance to be like on the telly. Um, there's just always like a challenge every tournament. I think that's that's the main thing. And it's a different situation now, isn't it? Because ten or fifteen years ago, someone your age coming on the tour, you'd have to win a few matches to have any chance of being on TV. Yeah. But now the way it's set up, you can be playing one of the biggest names on the TV yeah. in the first round. Yeah, it, it depends what way you look at it because you can have like. If you, if you get okay draws, like balanced out draws where you're playing different standards through the tour, you can enjoy the, the top players. But if you keep drawing them over and over again and you're not really winning games, it can be hard then. But if you're getting the chance, like I've had I've had like nice draws. I've played I've played uh, like Judge Rump, I've played Jimmy White, I've played everyone else. I've played players like James Cale, who, who was at the time last year, he was ranked the same, similar to me. So I've played like every standard throughout the tour. And so you can enjoy every occasion. You can take something from every match instead of 
like looking at the negatives. It was strange, wasn't it? The fact that your first season, almost every part of it was played in one venue. No disrespect to the yeah. venue, because I think people felt generally it was well equipped for what was required at the time. In a sense, that's probably made you even more hungry now to eventually get to places like ultimately yeah. the Crucible. I mean, I like traveling. I, I enjoy like a, like a day traveling. And then, because for me, Milton Keynes was, it was a full day travel for me. It was like four hours to get there and then I'd have a practice and stuff. And it just take the day up. So I didn't mind that. But after you're losing a few games on the bounce and then you, it starts getting tough then. You, you want to like go somewhere else, mm-hmm. you know, just to, to break it up, break the cycle a bit. I think it's all right if you're doing well. Like Judd won loads of tournaments again last year. Mm-hmm. And Neil Robertson, they're just like winning loads of tournaments. So they're probably, they were probably happy with it there. So a lot of players, particularly the young British ones, don't actually seem to like the travel that much and going out to China. Yeah. Now, I know China's kind of on hold at the moment, yeah. but that's something presumably you're looking forward to immensely, that hopefully in a few years' time, things will be back to normal and you'll get to experience yeah. those things. For me, that's part of the tour. Like, there's a, there's a few players I know, I know Ricky Walden quite well. He's he's won a few tournaments in China. So it, some people like to adapt to that a lot better than others, and you can end up that can end up keeping you on the tour. Do you know if you, if you do well over there? There's a lot of money over there and stuff. So the traveling's like one thing, but it's it's how you you get treated different over there. Yeah. I haven't been, but just what I've been told, you get, you get like you feel more like a professional over there than what you do over here. Mm. For for the lower for the lower ranked players like like me, I mean Ronnie gets noticed everywhere, and the top players get noticed everywhere. But it's nice being. You know, people ask him to get pictures and stuff. But yeah, that that's, feels like what it'd be like in China. I think Ricky would like every tournament to be in China because yeah. it's been so successful yeah. there. I can't believe you're good friends with him because he's such a famous Liverpool fan. And I yeah. know you're very much a, a blue. Yeah. Another famous blue, John Paris, yeah. 30 years ago from Liverpool, won the World Championship. Yeah. Have you met him at all? Yeah, I spoke to John at the, at the UK. I've seen him a few times this last season because uh, he does the BBC work. Um, so I've... I've spoke to him a few times and I've, I've played him in an exhibition a few years ago in Liverpool. Maybe it might have been all 14 or something like that. I don't think he remembered me at the time, but I let him know and then he, I think he did remember. He's very encouraging, isn't he, of young people in every way? Yeah, it's it's just nice that they, that they talk to you because you see in other sports, they're not really bothered you know, about, about anyone else coming through. It's just more about themselves. So it's nice that the they'll actually talk to you, they feel like, you feel like they want to speak to you, in a way. Probably helps that way, being a young man coming into snooker, as you say, it is so different, because I think anyone who's spent much time on the circuit just finds the players are really down to earth and just very yeah. ordinary. Yeah, I mean, you think, you can, you can you start thinking things when things aren't going well, like, you, you feel like, what do the players are thinking and stuff like that, and then you end up speaking to them, and when they're having problems, they're doing the same things, and they've like, they've been a pro for years and years, do you know what I mean? Mm. So, it's all just they all just think the same as you because at the end of the day, like we can all play snooker at that pro level. It's just it's just experience is that's the difference from like the one the one two eight and and the number one ranked player. In terms of players you looked up to, then Sean, as you were growing up, I mean, a lot of people say Ronnie O'Sullivan, but someone your age, maybe Judd as well. I'd say I was. It was more Ronnie and Johnny Gans for me. Um, it was just Judd's style. Like the way I played the game was more like Ronnie and Johnny Gans. It wasn't really like Judd. At the time, he used to go for everything. And I liked watching him, but it wasn't someone I'd, I'd like look look at for me game. 
Mm. I like Steve Davis as well. He, he was really good for me to watch. Well, that's really good, isn't it? Because I think what happens to a lot of players coming from the amateur game, they can't really handle the tactical side yeah. of it. But if you're talking about playing in the mould of people like John and Steve, well, that suggests your tactical side is pretty good. Yeah, I mean... I- yeah, you, you still. I've still got to pick things up on at the pro game. Like I played Joe Petty a few times, and you, you still they they still catch it out. Like you've got to be, you know, they've got like a like a world class tactical game. But for, for most other players, I'd say for like ninety nine percent of other players, I'd I'd at least match them at the tactical side. It got me. That's what got me to a lot of amateur finals because I, I felt like I had a better tactical game than most of the amateurs. Obviously, now it's all about trying to stay on the tour, as you yeah. alluded to earlier. But you seem to have a good mindset. You feel you can do that, but you also are quite clear. It wouldn't be the end of the world if you did drop off. No, I mean, I'm, even if I did come off, I'd still only be 19 by the time I came off. And I'd already have had two years as a pro. And you look at like some of the players now who are winning tournaments, like Dave Gilbert's just won his first when he's like maybe 40. Jordan Brown's, I don't know, like 28, 30, is he? He was born 87, so he's yeah, kind of into his 30s yeah, now. So still pretty young, though, in snooker terms. Yeah, that's what I mean. I've, st- I've still got like 14 years to catch up to to John, uh, to Jordan Brown. And for me, that's that's like a long time. I've came a long way in just one year on the tour. Like I've grown up mentally and, and my game has improved as well. Do you feel now, if you could get through a couple of rounds in a tournament and you're in a situation where you've got momentum behind you, that your game would be ready even now to perhaps go deep in a tournament and maybe yeah. even be looking at a quarter or a semi or something? Yeah, no, I, I definitely. It's it's a lot. It's it's more confidence at this level. It's, you know, winning on these surroundings because they're still, the surroundings are still the same. You know, like the, you look at the scoreboard, the tables, it's just, Getting familiar and being happy with winning games against these type of players, I, I'm doing it in practice. So there's no no reason why I can't do it in a match. It's just more mentally than anything. And what is your practice setup, Sean? Where do you go to practice, and who are you uh, working with this season? Well, I've I've had a coach from the start, from when I first started playing. Um, he's he used to run a club in Liverpool, which wasn't far from me. So when I first started playing, I went there. Who is your coach? Neil Johnson. His name is. He's always been there for me, and and I just I, I do a lot better when he's there with me. Actually, there are a lot of players around the Liverpool area. Not all of them from Liverpool, actually. Yeah. One or two from further afield who are living yeah, quite yeah. close. Yeah, there's. I mean, I've got a lot of good practice partners that round Liverpool way, like Ricky Rod Lawler. I play Rod quite a lot. I know he's not on the tour anymore, but he's still he's still really good. You can still learn loads from Rod. You'll learn a lot about the yeah. tactical side from Rod, won't you? Yeah, I've got like Alan Taylor, Robbie Williams, Andrew Higginson. James Kyle's not too far. Um, Craig Stedman's not too far away. And then Sheffield. Um, like this season, Sheffield will be where I'll be going a lot because the the tables play like a lot a lot more like these uh, pro tournament tables do. So for me, that yeah, it's just a sharp a game sharpener when I'm when I'm going up there. It's been a lot of talk in the last few months about what snooker needs to do to appeal more to young people because Judd made some comments, I don't know if you're aware of that, a few months back, that he feels the perception of snooker among young people isn't what it needs to be. Now, of course, he's an old man compared to you, so you're very much a young person. What kind of perception do you get, Sean, from talking to people your own age, not necessarily within the game, but outsiders and how they see snooker? I think it's the time it takes with snooker. I think that's the only thing that puts people off. I think they think... At even at pro level, it takes a long time to play, and it doesn't. They they like pool. A lot of players, especially from my area, they like playing pool at the pub or 
if they'll just go to the club for a couple of hours and they'll play pool. Um, and I say to them, like, it, if you once you start getting good at snooker, you can win frames in 10, 15 minutes. You know, if you're making, like, breaks, even less, like, 5, 10 minutes. It's just, it's th- I think it's just more getting the, the buzz out of it. Like, it's not, I, th- I think a lot, of, a lot of things now is, like, trend. It's not a British trend, I don't think, is, like, where football is. It's funny, isn't it? Because we think of Britain as the home of the game, but yeah. actually, it's far more popular, perhaps, in some other countries. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know why that is, really, because there's, there's not really many snooker clubs like around my area. There's, there's like, there's, there's one big one that's George Scotts in Liverpool. If you're not into a sport a lot, you're not going to travel to like the other side of Liverpool to to go and play it. Do you know what I mean? You talked a bit there about being on your own a lot last season and it's clearly something that yeah. you struggled with so now that hopefully we're returning to some sort of normality how do you see that in the future Sean who do you imagine will be travelling with you to events me coach a lot of the time um, and even just travelling with players like I, I don't mind travelling with players but last season I couldn't because you, you're risking like catching the virus and stuff like that and it was just hard you just feel like it was more anxiety than anything like you just feel like someone's judging what you're doing all the time I was getting to like events and you'd have to stand so far behind someone else and it was just weird. It's not it wasn't for me. It just really weren't for me. It's not my personality. And what about family? Can they handle watching you? Because I know a lot of people just can't take the pressure of it. My mum and my dad can't. Mm. I'm surprised they haven't had heart attacks yet. <laughs> but I feel all right. Like I, I can see them sweating after I've finished the game and like I'm I'm fine. It's harder to watch sometimes, yeah, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I think it's because they're not in control of it. Yeah. It's different when you're in control or something. And you obviously spend a lot of time on the game, but what do you like to do when the queue goes away? If it wasn't risking any injuries, I'd like to play football a lot, but I can't do that anymore. I did I did do it once. I brought, ended up breaking my arm. I was in school when, when I'd done it, but I broke my arm, so I can't risk doing that anymore. I like going to the gym. Uh, I like... Some, just 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 doing different things like sometimes maybe going on a bike ride or or maybe going to different parts of England for the day. So you like keeping fit and people mightn't think it with snooker but anyone who's involved in the game knows that can actually be a real help particularly when you've got the grind of a lot of matches and especially the long matches. Yeah, yeah. It, I think it, it does help you more, Matt. It's more your mindset. I think if you're into a routine every single day when you go into a tournament it's not broken up as much. Whereas if if you're doing different things, whatever you feel like, you can you can be more a lot more up and down, and that's that's what I was last season. Really, I was I was a lot more up and down. Like one tournament, I'd be really confident. The next tournament, I'd think, well, I haven't done this right, and I haven't. My diet could have been better and stuff like that. And and you end up just putting things in your own head. If you if you're consistent all the time, you. You, you like wiping excuses away, if you, if, you, if you get what I mean. Yeah. You mentioned football there earlier, and as I said, you were a Blue, an yeah. Everton fan. I always get the sense on Merseyside, it all depends on what your family tradition is. If you're an Everton family, you're Everton, yeah. and vice versa with Liverpool. That's what it is with me. Most of my family are Everton. Um, if, I was, if I was Liverpool, I don't think I'd be speaking to half of my family. But mo- it's 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 weird. It's a split city. I'd say it's fifty-fifty. Liverpool. It's half of them support Liverpool, half of them support Everton. Whereas if you go to Manchester, I'd say like eighty percent to Man United, maybe twenty of Man-, Man City. It's strange times, isn't it? Because you've got a Liverpool legend now managing Everton. How do you feel about that? Don't mind as long as he does a good job. It's just about getting results, really, for Everton. You can't really moan about managers because if you got them in the Champions League or 
even like the Europa League, then you, you can't really moan about where he's come from. We'll see how far he goes with them. And what about you, Sean? Ultimately, how good do you feel you can be? Can you be one of the very top players? Definitely, I, I really do. I, I'm not. I don't boast about anything. I don't put myself under pressure. But speaking honestly, if if I do what I need to do, if I do what I can do, in maybe in like the next ten, fifteen years, I think I could be a top player. There's yeah. no reason why I can't. I've, I think I've done a lot of good things already in in, in my career, and I've I've only been really. It's only, it's not it's not long. Do you know, I'm still only nineteen, so. There's players like Bing Tao and and others who are doing really well, but I've done I've done a lot of things like making one four sevens and things. I've won a lot of amateur or I've been to a lot of amateur finals at a young age, where like other players haven't really done that. And the game's a lot harder now. I think if you if you're making big amateur finals when you're like sixteen, seventeen, that was like probably going deep in a pro tournament maybe twenty or thirty years ago. Is there anything in particular you feel you need to do differently, anything you need to improve on, or are you in a situation where you feel if you keep going on the road you're on, that that will lead you there eventually? No, I think if I keep doing what I'm doing and picking little things up, then that that's all I can really do. I've always tried my best. Um, I've always done what I can. Some things just aren't in your own hands. Like, I think I'd have had a better year last year if it was normal, but that's I couldn't do nothing about that. Like I was, There was no one with me. That doesn't suit me. And there's no one watching. I don't really like that. I just felt flat. Even though it was a, a big, a good experience for me, I still felt flat when I was playing. You seem so. to have a very good attitude, though. You seem to have it all clear in your head what you need to do and yeah. how you're going to get there. Yeah, I trust what I can do. So if it, if I do what I can do, I know eventually I will have a good run. Hopefully that comes this year. Okay. Well, I suspect we're going to see you having many good runs in tournaments over the years, Sean. It's been fantastic talking to you today. Yeah. All the best for the season ahead. Oh, thanks and thanks for joining for us on the World Snooker Tour No, podcast. thanks a lot for that. Next week on the World Snooker Tour podcast, it's a not-to-be-missed chat with Mark Williams as he looks back on his extraordinary career and the amazing turnaround which saw him lift his third world title in the company of his three sons. That's the only tournament they've ever seen me win. I've always been China, Ireland or whatever. they never see me win, win one. So to have them there as well. And it's only when I look back and see little replays of the frames and they're up in the up in the stands and when John keeps cleaning up on me they're biting in nails and Ed in their hands and you know they're the ones look under pressure I was calm as a mm. as a anything down there and then obviously they come out at the end and uh, it was just probably the best well it is, it is without doubt the best snooker day of my life so that's coming up next week on the World Snooker Tour podcast until then thanks so much for listening and goodbye <laughs>